1: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and the University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you this
0: cloudy Sunday morning? Uh, I'm about as good as you can be, having suffered a 96th minute defeat the previous day. It's all part of football, yeah, we we, we, we enjoy it when it's us, and you've got to take the, the negatives as well, but... <laughs> I'd be lying if I say that otherwise. I, I can't deny, Kieran, I did have a
1: little chuckle when uh, you know when you, you hear the news, it's, oh my God, it's a very late goal at the Tottenham, you think, oh no, he's going to be insufferable. Then you think, oh, well, there you are. Uh, but I, it didn't take long for karma to repay me, Kieran, because <laughs> you may have noticed a slight air of giddiness in both of us in, in that we, <laughs> we're late starting, because... <clears throat> We had we had we had audio issues. I mean, quite safe to say, Kieran, when we we logged in, tech issues. When I I simply couldn't, I can't hear you, Kieran. We we restarted twice. We put stuff in different places, and then eventually, Ali came downstairs and just said, "Why aren't your headphones plugged in?" Uh, And I hadn't noticed that my, my headphones were adjacent to the laptop, but not actually plugged into the laptop. So uh, even though Ali was behind me, I could I could hear her eyebrows lifting, <laughs> and then we had to have a five minute delay starting because Kieran was laughing so much. <laughs> I've never actually seen a man double over with laughter, Kieran, for quite some time. Um, it's questions day, Kieran. So unless you have uh, any questions for me, should we crack on? There is there is a news story that we will warn people that we will we will be discussing it on Thursday. We wanted to hold it over in great detail. We've been talking about the multi-club model a lot, Kieran, recently. Mm. There was a, a vote in the Premier League last week, which will have a serial effect on, on transfers within those multi-club models. But we're going to talk about that on our news pod on Thursday to give it um, the proper respect that story does. So we've, we've got just questions today. And our first one, Kieran, um, I'm pleased to say, comes from uh, Nathan hopwood Curry. Because I have been saying to Guy, I think it's about time we had a little bit of class on this show. Some of the questions we'd be getting, frankly, are from, uh, I can only describe as proletariat names. Yeah, I mean, at least I can pronounce him, but I like to think that Nathan Hopwood-Curry looks like a young Roger Moore. That's my guess. It looks like a young Roger Moore. And also, it is clearly quite a This so is I think this is the first time we've discussed football in this country, Kieran, but Nathan Hopwood Curry says my parents have lived in Chile for over a decade now. And I can only apologise that the word Chile in a South London accent doesn't get quite the the deference and pronunciation. I know it, it's it's a beautiful country by all accounts. And I'm sure it's Chile, but unfortunately in our accent Kieran it's chile But Nathan Hopwood Curry's parents have lived in Chile for over a decade now. <clears throat> and like many other South American countries, football is a huge part of the culture and day-to-day life. Nathan says, I was wondering how the finances behind Chilean football compared to that of the Premier League. My guess would be that the top division teams will have comparable finances to a championship team. But I'm curious if this is true and whether the two big teams, Colo Colo and Universidad, have a massive financial advantage over the rest of the league. <clears throat> I'm always interested to hear... Um, about the fi- comparative finances of other countries, Kieran, and always interested to virtually visit a country for the first time.
0: Yes, um, and I, I know people will find this a bit far-fetched, but I do have a secret Chilean professional footballer. You do Amongst not. our list of contacts, uh, because I'm very fortunate uh, at the University of Liverpool, because I, t- I teach a, uh, a football-based MBA course that it, hmm. it is very much global in terms of its appeal and uh I'm, I'm currently teaching a, a ex-professional footballer who Whoa. is from Chile Whoa. and uh, from what he's told I'm, I'm very keen to now visit I've, I've been fortunate I've, I've been to Venezuela I've, I've been to Peru but Chile has been added to my list he's done a, he's done a very very good job in uh, in marketing his wonderful country um <clears throat> So, in terms of, uh, I think there's two questions here to unpack. So, we take a look at the second one first. The two big teams, Colo Colo and Universidad, um, they they do have a significant advantage, certainly in terms of support over the rest of the league. And the average attendance at the uh, Chilean Premier Premier League is around about seven thousand, which which I, I thought was a little bit low. Uh, but both of those teams have you know, mid-20s. Um, I think the the record attendance for a domestic match in Chile is around about 60,000. I, I do believe that uh, attendance uh, or capacity has, has been reduced as they've moved away from uh, standing to all-seater stadiums in some places and so on. So uh, I, I've i been ferreting, um, which is not a, not a good thing to do on a Sunday morning, but I've been ferreting. And in terms of the TV deal in Chile, it's it's less than that of the EFL. So the EFL's deal is worth around about one hundred and nineteen million pounds a year, whereas the Chilean deal is about seventy million, which which places it between Belgium and the Netherlands. So know, yeah, still oh, okay. pretty significant. Yeah, it's a uh, um, and. Then I started looking at ticket prices because, okay, if, if it's an average of seven thousand, you can watch a match um, sort of yeah behind the goal for around about five or six quid, and I thought sort yeah the big tickets sort of yeah, by the halfway line would probably cost could, perhaps cost you around about thirty, and um, they do sell a lot of season tickets there. Um, so, it, in in terms of the top divisions. I would say, is it comparable to a championship team? Probably a championship team, is sort of with a bottom six budget. You know, something like Rotherham. Um, uh, you know, a, a club sort of, of of that nature in terms of its resources, uh, or or the top of the uh, top of League One. Um, but they they've got a decent international team. Um, I remember when when Michael Owen. Made his debut uh, for England, which was you know was a big fuss at the time. I think that was against Chile, and, and Chile beat England two nil. Uh, was it Sanchez scored twice, and, and they they were they, they were what you would like to see from a South American team, uh, lots of flair. Um, uh, and also the "they shall not pass" attitude uh, <laughs> when when necessary. So, sort of topper, uh, top muscular defending, uh, but uh, up front, absolutely brilliant to watch. So, so, so that's that's where they are. Do they have um, do Colo Colo and Universidad have, a, have an advantage over the rest of the league? Um, some clubs are only averaging attendances of a couple of thousand. And they've got two divisions of, of 18 teams. So there is promotion relegation there as well. Um, so it's intriguing. Uh, I, I think if any of our listeners have been there and, and have uh, watched the match, I'd, I'd love them to report back. Um, But uh I've not told the Baroness this, but I think it's been added to my list of places I'm going to have to visit.
1: Well, you could always bring the Baroness with you, Kieran, unless you've have you got a separate list of places you want to visit. Without the parallels, <laughs> in which case, let's move on. Yes. I just imagine, I can just imagine these Chilean, Chilean defenders going, oh, this kid called Michael Owens making his debut against us today. Apparently, he's very good. And then at the end of the game, going, this is dull, dull little teenagers just kept trying to sell us digital currencies. And if he only concentrated more on playing the game, he might have scored more. Can I ask, you if the Chilean footballer you are teaching or the
0: ex player was. Uh, played in this country or was he somebody who played No 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 he's he's played in uh I think he played in Chile and he's played in Mexico. Oh okay. Uh, and by all accounts, Mexico uh is exactly what you want it to be in terms of uh football fandom. Uh, very passionate.
1: Well he, he sounds like he's doing a very good job selling the whole of Central and South America to you, Kira, not just yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. They're, they're, Probably aren't as many Chilean footballers in the English footballers. The there was way back in the day a chuck called Brian Rebledo, <clears throat> who was of Chilean extraction. But I mean, our players do tend to come from other parts of South America, don't they? Rather than that, Jamie Risner, um, I tailed off a bit there, Kieran, as I suddenly realized I didn't have confidence in that statistic. Suddenly realizing <laughs> half our listeners would be reeling off in their head a whole list of Chilean footballers at various levels of the English game. Jamie Risner, um, <coughs> I'm sure Jamie Rizner's a lovely young man, but I don't like the way his mind works when it comes to making money, Kieran, because mm. Jamie Rizner's question.
0: Uh, don't give them ideas, Jamie. Don't give well, them ideas.
1: It's, do you know what? It's it is one of those questions where you think, I'm not reading this out because they're going to do this. It's a perfectly sensible question. Jamie Rizner says, why don't teams, big teams that always sell out, auction off? Match day tickets because I can imagine prime seats going for a song. Same with season tickets when they come up for sale again. Why wouldn't the club auction them off? I mean, I can think of quite a few moral reasons, Kieran, but in terms of pure finance, it makes perfect sense, really. If you know you've got 200,000 more fans and you've got seats, people are going to pay top dollar, aren't
0: they? They are. And, and by all means people can accuse me of being a complete hypocrite here because we have spoken at length about uh, the uh, reaction of Fulham fans to the prices being put up there um, and elsewhere um, and we're on yeah we're on the side of the fan if I go and put on an economist's hat the Premier League has got it spectacularly wrong and the and ticket prices are far too cheap um, for the exact reason that that Jamie was at, was saying uh you you could sell them at significantly higher prices um yeah i i went to the uh euro finals in paris in was it 2016 i paid 300 euro for a ticket uh, to see a nil nil draw for 90 minutes a dreadful game which was only famous for cristiano ronaldo versus the moths uh, which descended upon paris at the time um <clears throat> And I thought, you know, this this is crazy, but I'm never going to see a match of this stature. Those prices have gone up. And the fact that they are selling out at those prices indicates that perhaps from an economics point of view, are they actually too cheap? Because there are more people prepared to pay at a higher price. Um, So what the big teams are doing, and I'm not going to name the teams, but I I am uh, aware of this, is that um, they are trying to... Uh, readdress the issue of season tickets. So I'm aware of one team that now sells around about four or five thousand less season tickets. Or was that should that be fewer? do to be corrected here by Gary Lineker. Um <laughs> But it, it sells four to five thousand uh, fewer tickets than uh, four or five years ago, and, and that's because you know, at the end of the season, yeah, you know, most fans try to renew, but sadly, you know, some. Some fans are no longer with us; they have passed on. Some fans have moved out of the area. Some fans can't afford it for uh, for financial reasons. And what those clubs are doing is is one of two things: a) they're converting them into day tickets because you can sell a day ticket at a higher price. You know, I, I pay I think I pay twenty eight pounds to watch Brighton at you know with my season ticket, and that includes the travel to and from the game. So you know, it's probably about twenty four pounds a game for the actual ticket itself. Um, <clears throat> but you can sell those tickets especially if it's against a you know for want of want a better phrase a bigger team you can sell that ticket for 40 50 quid and you know they can make more money um, also the the day tickets you're more likely to go to the mega store so therefore merchandise sales more you know souvenir program all of that thing tends to be increased the other thing that i'm seeing uh, some of these big teams doing um, and perhaps we might discuss this at more length on the Thursday show is if, for whatever reason, um, you are unable to attend some home matches, um, they're saying we're going to take your season ticket away. And, and, you know, and you could have been a you can be a supporter thirty or forty years. or well, they don't care, you know. Um, and then what they are doing is they're not going to reissue those as season tickets, but they're going to offer them as part of a hospitality package. So you still get to go and sit in the regular seats. But instead of, you know, the fan paying you know, 30, 35 quid to watch a big 16 or whatever it's going to be, um, instead, they will sell a pair of tickets and they'll charge 120, 150 quid. But in addition to that, you get uh, you get sent off to a local leisure centre for a sit down meal and there'll be a couple of club legends and you get a chance to have a selfie and somebody walks around. And you get a match day experience. Now, I'm not going to criticise the people that buy those tickets because it it could be that they've not had an opportunity to watch that particular team and they get a chance to have a a photograph taken with a former player who has has, an attachment, clearly, to the club. Um, But the club makes an awful lot of money out of these. So, So we are seeing an increase in match day revenues as... Uh, some clubs, and it's let's be honest, we, we know that some clubs can sell out two or three times over. And our club, you know, if if Brighton are at home to Burnley on a Monday night, if, if we manage to sell out, we've done well. And it's the same for Palace, you know. If, if um, and, and we know where we are in the pecking order, but the clubs are becoming more savvy. Um, it's my fear is that they they will try and come up with some form of auctioning. Now, under present legislation, it's not possible for clubs to put those tickets on a secondary market. So they can't go and sell them via via GoGo or StubHub or or these organisations. And that's partly due to the legislation which exists. But but that's, that's my fear of the way things are going and you know, we're not here to to plug our, our mates on the price of music but if you take a look at the way that concert tickets for gigs are organized I'm fully aware of some of the underhand activities that take place so you, you've got a you've got a prime band taking place at Wembley or somewhere and what will happen you know the capacity will be you know seventy thousand in terms of tickets available to be sold for the gig and mysteriously, ten thousand at the other, and the tickets are priced expensively anyway. Yeah, ten thousand of those tickets somehow end up in the in the hands of the promoter, who then sells them on via Gogo and StubHub at extortionate prices and makes even more money. Yeah, there's all types of of underhand things that take place in theatre tickets for the you know, for the prime shows, for music shows, and so on, um, and potentially other sporting events. It's not impacted upon football due to the fact that, because football fans are deemed to be different to the rest of the population, and I think that's a separate discussion. Um, they can't legally be sold secondhand, although again, there's opportunities for them to be, you know, rebadged, repackaged, as uh, as Morrissey once said.
1: Mm. Uh, producer Guy's going to be very pleased with you plugging the uh, the other pod in the stable. Don't, and don't tell him about the little incident with the microphone earlier. I'll be honest with you, Kieran, I wasn't expecting Jamie's question to raise um, that many issues. I certainly wasn't expecting to hear you say that the clubs are actually thinking about it. Um, before I mention a couple of those issues, uh, in general, and I do look forward to Gary Lineker's next pod, the rest is grammar. I think we'll all be looking forward <laughs> to that. Uh, in general, if it, if it ends with an S, then it's fewer so it'd be, it'd be less snow, fewer snowballs. There are, of course, mm-hmm. exceptions, and we will be bombarded with them uh, on Twitter. By, but not snowballs. Um, but not snowballs, hopefully. And the two issues, I can't remember, Kieran. I know we researched this for our... I'll uh, get... <laughs> sounds really pretentious when I say this. I know we researched this for our latest book, darling. But I can't recall whether there are re- regulations that stipulate whether clubs have to have a minimum amount of season tickets or they can sell as many day tickets as they want. And and secondly, I, I wonder whether the broadcasters wouldn't be too happy if all the tickets in the stadium, in a big stadium went to the richest people because that will inevitably have an impact on the atmosphere for the broadcast games or, or would they really not be bothered as long as the stadium is full, they don't care.
0: Um, In terms of that latter issue, f- the, if, if, even if they have been sold to the highest bidder, I suspect those high bidder, highest bidders will still make noise. Um, I was fortunate enough to be in some pretty prime seats at, uh, at White Hart Lane yesterday, and I was surrounded by people who I, was you know, I, I ended up in hospitality for, for reasons which are too complex to go into. Um, but there were there were fans who clearly had paid an awful lot of money to be on the halfway line, just behind the manager. Um when, when Spurs scored that second goal in injury time, they made a lot of noise. Yeah, you know, and, and, and and I think that would be the case for some people. They can be a diehard fan of that club for you know, 10, 20, 30 years, whatever it is. And this could be the, their first opportunity that they've seen the club. Five years. So they are going to make a lot of noise. So I, I don't see that as being an issue in terms of the, the first question. Um, as far as I'm aware, there is no day minimus in terms of season tickets being sold. But if you take a look at it from the perspective of the club, and again, I think we need to separate. We know that some clubs are in a different stratosphere financially um, to, to others. If I'm supporting a club in the Championship or League One or even the bottom half of the Premier League... Um, As as a fan, what am I doing in March or April? A, I'm committing myself to 19 or 23 afternoons, mornings, evenings, whatever it's going to be, of of watching the club um, next season, uh, regardless of form, regardless of success, and so on. And secondly, I'm giving the club money in March or April because football clubs don't have any cash coming in in June or July because they're not playing matches. So historically part of the reason for the rise of the season ticket, as well as the fact that it gave you that ability to sit or stand normally in the same place with the same mates, which is part of football for me, you know, seeing, seeing, seeing Joe's, you know, and having that as a family, that to me is part of football. Um, but um, from the club's point of view, it's getting that money up front, which means that the club can pay the wages in June and July. Now, that's a historic anomaly before um, the time that broadcast money was significant. Because if you go back to the 80s, the amount of money that was coming in from TV was probably worth about 4 or 5% of the total. So, so fan income, especially season ticket fan income, was absolutely critical. And it, it it does de-risk things from the club's point of view. If you're a club in in the third tier of of the league, and yeah, uh, yeah, you know, you know, it's February. You, you're 14th. You're playing the team that's 18th. You're not going to get many walk-up fans anyway. So at least you are going to have bodies in the ground because I bought the season ticket. Why on earth to do that? I'm never going to do that again. Of course, you go and renew because that's that's what we do as football fans. Um. So yeah, there are some like some historical issues, but I don't think that there's any. Uh, limit in terms of the number of season tickets there are rules and regulations in respect of um, away fans and the number of tickets that get sold to them you know to to allow them to to attend but but not season tickets themselves so it's always been and it's one of these issues you know I've I've said to you on I think on on a few occasions Liverpool only you know and Liverpool's capacity was increased at Anfield yesterday to 59,000 well I think Liverpool will now drop below 50% of fans Having season tickets, the club does have a membership scheme which costs you each year, doesn't guarantee you a ticket, and I think tickets go on sale twice a year for league matches. And by all accounts, you know the the online system is is absolutely snowed under. Um, so yeah, that that's the position from the point of view of of Liverpool. Some other clubs, um, you know, I think West Ham, for example, they have forty seven thousand season tickets yeah, because yep. they come from a different. Fan base, you know, it is that part of London, that part of Essex tend to form the the, the main element of the fan base, and, and therefore they tend to have more you know, a, a greater degree of of fans who, uh, you know, want to, to want to partake via the season ticket route. Mm. It always worries me, Kieran, When you, you tell me you end up
1: in hospitality, because I can't help thinking it's wasted on you. Uh, I, know, I know the reasons I don't get invited anymore. It's like, Mr. Day, please, it's three o'clock in the morning. We're trying to lock up here, if you could <laughs> if you could go. We've only got red wine left. Oh, can I take one with me? This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace, Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion... You do. It's the AI powered workspace where any team
0: can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So, therefore, Notion helps me from summarizing meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer.
1: You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football.
0: Another day is here and you're
1: ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. Uh, and, and Neil, we love you, We love you, Neil. As Neil says, I'm a big fan of the show, having listened from the very first episode, and I'm hoping you will read this question out to complete my hat-trick. It's a pleasure, and thank you for listening right for the very first episode, Neil. Uh, Neil says, we often hear you talk about the Big Six, but I was wondering if you could examine why two teams in particular aren't in the Big Six, how close they came to being, and what they could have done differently to have been part of those Big Six. And those two clubs are Leeds and Blackburn. Now, it's a brilliant result for Blackburn, as it was for Leeds on Saturday, but a brilliant result for Blackburn on Saturday, Kieran. But almost out of nowhere, we've talked on the poll about them chugging along under the Venkies for for a number of years. And then suddenly in the last four weeks, wheels we are not coming off, but they're wobbling. The, you know, the manager leaving under strange circumstances and, and claiming that he'd been told that he couldn't say anything in public about any part of the thing. We We've heard about the courts in india perhaps preventing the venkis exporting money so it, it does seem as though again it's that be careful what you wish for things because those those blackburn fans who have over the years said we need new owners
0: it it, it might be that that's not the, the best thing to happen after all yes um in answer to neil's question it was a case of being in the right place at the right time um Yeah, and I think Blackburn were at the the start of the Premier League. Uh, And and we've got this discussion at the Big Six. So I I went through a list of uh, where teams finished. And if you take a look at that first season, I think uh, Chelsea, Manchester City, Spurs, all all sort of around about halfway. If you take the first 10 years of Spurs' existence in the Premier League, so we're going you know, 1992 to, to 2002, their average position was 10th. Wow. The highest position was 5th. So they, they weren't, you know, they were seen as you know, a decent-sized London club. We know about the history and heritage. Yes, we know about the double in, in the early 60s and so on, but they they, they were not troubling the, uh, the top of the Premier League. They were not considered to be um one of the elite elite and there is a case that's saying and, and yeah, I, I was there yesterday I, I i've said on countless occasions the best run business in the premier league uh, by by a long way um and yeah i can, I can only give huge plaudits to the, the staff that i met yesterday all brilliant all friendly all knowledgeable um it was uh, it, it was a, a, an amazing and uh, enjoyable experience, apart from yeah, the result, which ultimately is what I go for as a fan. Um, but they they started to be successful um, on the pitch, and they started to creep into the Premier League on, on the back of making a couple of decent signings. Um, Harry Kane came through, uh, Gareth Bale proved to be you know, a fantastic piece of business, and, and so on. And that coincided with the Premier League TV deals over the course of six or seven years going up in value by nearly 200%. So they caught the crest of that particular wave in terms of if you did finish fourth or fifth, especially if you looked at the money that was coming in from the uh, the Champions League at that point in time, um, that catapulted them into becoming more competitive. Now, if that had happened... 10 or 12 years earlier um, when you know we will we remember when I wouldn't say that Leeds United were everybody's second team but they were they were a team that were great to watch you know we, we can remember sort of the the, the Yaboa years and they um, you know some of the other players they had and, and yeah you know, that they were they, they were an exciting team to watch in terms of football um, of course they they they'd won the league themselves Um but they were at that sort of that initial growth point of the Premier League, as opposed to the level of revenues that we have today. date. You what know, we've said before, uh, the, the income of the Premier League has increased by 2,600%. And a lot of that sort of came in sort of that sort of first half of the second half of the existence of the Premier League in terms of growth. Leeds were too good too early in, in many respects. And I think you could say the same. With regards to Blackburn, you know, Blackburn did have the afterburners put on by Jack Walker. I think there's a there's a third club that we could mention here, Newcastle. Yeah, again, Newcastle were were you know, quite regular as, as a sort of a top four team, but not at the right time in order to uh, benefit significantly financially from being in that position. And you know, there's an argument, of course, of saying under the new ownership they can become more competitive. So, just like just like many things in life, yeah, it's sliding doors moments. It's it's right, yeah, right place, right time. Yeah, a bit like, yeah, a bit like me being in Marks and Spencer's, trying to find a tie to match a shirt, and meeting the Baroness and saying, "Excuse me, I'm colour blind. Can I? Uh, can, can you help me?" So uh, these two, yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. And she fell, She fell for that. No, no, it was it was genuine. I was, I'm, I'm absolutely, I'm, I'm colourblind, as we know. I not we um, know that. And uh, wow. yeah, that was, that was just sort of the that was the start of a of a sort of a random conversation.
1: How which, romantic! We didn't,
0: which yeah, we wouldn't know how, how. Yeah, but sliding doors moments.
1: Yeah, like the time Martin Keown approached Ali in a shop in Oxford and said, "You look like you know your way around a pair of Dr Martins. Can you give me any help?" Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> It's what you think somebody's face looks like they know their way around a pair of Dr Martins as well, Martin, but, you know, scout <laughs> know, somebody else up. Um, really, I mean, I remember, Kieran, when, when Blackburn won the, the, the Premier League, it was considered a novelty by some, and, and, you know, a refreshing novelty, but it was a novelty and it was out of the blue because it had been a long time since Blackburn were a force in English football, but even in those early days of the Premier League, it infuriated many people. I mean, Jack Walker, quite rightly, got very defensive when people said, well, Blackburn have bought the Premier League because he pointed out that Liverpool had spent more on one player than he'd spent on his whole back four, Phil Babonik, I think he was. So, but yeah. the idea now, that, well, especially since 2016, which won't happen again, the idea now that a club like Blackburn would even be competitive in the Premier League again, let alone win it, it just shows you... The progress is, I suppose, for want of a better word, that the Premier League has made. That the, the clubs that were, the, as you say, Leeds as well, club, you know, and Leeds traditionally spent a lot of money mm. trying to cement their place in the Premier League, and it and it, it hasn't worked. Um, <laughs> like you say, sliding doors. Stephen Hopkins, uh, Kira has a question that's become very topical with events in German football this weekend.
0: Mm. Um, We've
1: seen a concerted um, campaign across Bundesliga games. Astonishing result uh, with Leverkusen beating Bayern Munich. But at every um, Bundesliga game this season, we've seen games stop because both teams, both sets of fans, throwing tennis balls, uh, chocolate coins onto the pitch to protest against private investment heading the way of the Bundesliga. Uh, Stephen says, what would the impact be if clubs in the UK started to offer free tickets in the way that FC Dusseldorf have been doing? Where is the tipping point where the benefits of a ground at capacity, even if they're getting in for nothing, through revenue from
0: food and drink, etc., is outweighed by that lost ticket money? Well, I think a lot depends here. Uh, and yeah, this is sort of spreadsheet heaven to a certain extent, as you can imagine, um, on where is your start point? So so we mentioned earlier that uh, the Premier League is very popular. And the Premier League handbook has just been published. Uh, if anybody wants to download it, you can get it for free from the Premier League website. It has been, has been read cover to cover by at least one person, I can say. <laughs> Probably at most one person, I suspect, as well. I, skim- um, I skimmed it.
1: <laughs> I checked whether my name was in the index, and when it wasn't, I put it back again. <laughs>
0: So um, last season, the Premier League sold ninety eight point seven percent of available tickets, which is an incredible achievement. Um, so, given that the Premier League is made yeah, somewhere in the region of seven hundred million pounds from season from ticket sales from that ninety eight point seven percent, to get that ninety eight point seven to one hundred percent, can you see if they if they gave away all the tickets for free, they'd have they, you'd have to have some major pie eaters coming in <laughs> to 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 fill the gap. So I don't think it would financially benefit clubs to to take that approach from a from a financial perspective. You know, from a social perspective, yeah, there's you could have an argument that hey, should they reserve one match a season for you know for people in more trying circumstances? You, you, you know, there's various things that you can do. Um, But um, it it would not work in the Premier League. If we take a look elsewhere, and again, we mention this club on a regular basis when it comes to the issue of ticket prices. Bradford City um, have this strategy of if you renew um, your season ticket, you get it, I think it's for £198, which works out as £8 per match. Um, Under 10s uh, at Bradford City get a a season ticket for £30, £1.20 a match yeah which which is absolutely fantastic and on the back of that they're averaging just short of 17,000 tickets at, at valley parade or whatever it's i call it valley parade still I'm sorry I know it's not that um, per, per per match which you know, given where they are in, in the football period absolutely amazing achievement um, so so that's where we are in terms of the finances I can understand FC Dusseldorf's position. They have a fifty-four thousand capacity stadium, and they, their average crowd is probably around about twenty-five thousand, which in Bundesliga two is still you know still a hell of an achievement. Um, so if they can sell an extra thirty thousand tickets, and the ticket prices were not particularly high to begin with, then you can meet that crossover. But what uh, uh, Fortuna Dusseldorf are also doing? with regard to this, is that they are going out to corporate sponsors and say, look, if you sponsor this match, which um, you're going to get an awful lot of goodwill because you are seen effectively as buying the tickets on behalf of the fans, that will generate uh, a positive response to your status locally, nationally, wherever it's going to be, and you will benefit on from increased sales, increased awareness. So as a marketing ploy, it's actually quite an interesting one. Whether it pays for itself, we wait to see uh, what Düsseldorf conclude in due due course. I think they're doing it for two matches this season. They say they want to do it for every match in due course, but that means you've got to attract 18, 20 sponsors over the course of the season who are willing to to write out a, a fairly large amount of money. To, to provide financial compensation for the loss of ticket sales for the game.
1: Hmm. Uh, our next question, Kieran, comes from Eric, just Eric. Uh, uh, I'm guessing Eric is a, is a certain... You don't get many young Erics these days, do you? Um, as I had a dear old pal, uh, Kieran, called Eric, who we lost recently, um, close to 100 years of age, who was uh, totally blind. Uh, and I still remember his daughter's wedding uh, which took place in a very posh castle chapel complex in Kent. Uh, it took place during that Legendary Ashes series. Uh, oh. And uh, Eric was nowhere to be seen. It had come the time when he was supposed to be walking his daughter and the aisle. There was no sign of Eric. So they sent me along to the hotel room to find where Eric was. And Eric went, I'll be down. It's nearly lunch. I'll be down. We'll just get these... A couple of those, so I went, all right. And then lo and behold, 10 minutes later, there's another knock on the door to come and find out where me and Eric were. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that, like that Laurel and Hardy film where they end up doing the jigsaw. It's like, Eric, I said, oh, Eric, so I just went, I'm blind. What are they going to do? So, bless her. He was, a, he was a very, 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 uh, his knowledge of sport. He used to, uh, used to fascinate me. His knowledge of sport is incredible when he'd never seen it. And his life, still loved it so much. It was, a, it was fantastic. Um, the Eric's question is an interesting one because we've seen a couple of um, uh, trainers and coaches step up this weekend, Kieran, to take over from, from managers for a week or so. Eric says, do interim managers receive a salary adjustment when they take on that interim role or do they receive cash bonuses for wins stroke draw? So, it's an interesting one. When we mistakenly, in my views, sacked Patrick Vieira last year, and Paddy McCarthy stepped up for a, a game, would he have been? Would his salary been adjusted from coach to manager for that game, or would they say just a couple of bob cash in hand just for, for looking after the team for ninety minutes?
0: Well. Of course, I had to go to our secret football employment lawyer <laughs> for this. And we've, we've not said it for at least a week or two. He said, Kieran, you know what the answer is in advance. I said, yes, I do. Yes, I do. The answer is, of course, it depends. Um, th- There could be a clause in the contract which says, should during the course of ordinary events, uh, you have to take on additional responsibilities, you know, more senior responsibilities, um, then yeah, there, there could be on a basis, on a, on a per-match basis, per-week basis, whatever it's going to be, uh, monthly basis, there, there would be uh, an, an agreed uh, addendum to the, the salary. So that's most likely to be the case. I think in respect of, of many coaches, you know, especially at lower leagues, they, they just see it as an opportunity. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of you know, some managers who, who are working, uh, in, in sort of in lower leagues for, for for barely beyond their expenses you know, traveling to and from the match because they it's it's a competitive industry and you're trying to get you know, your name known um so you know the the, the salaries for managers in the lower leagues um, can can be very low uh, indeed and, and therefore you know, if you're the if you 're the assistant coach if you 're the youth team coach you do it with a view to putting yourself in the shop window so they won't necessarily be the case but you would think that most clubs would do the appropriate thing Um, especially if you know I I think it's more likely to be giving bonuses uh, on on a performance basis Uh, but you know it, it does it does it does vary and it is very much contractually related I'm Steve Dlamac and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry.
1: Ridian Roderick has our next question. And Rydian says, last year, my team, Swansea City, converted £6 million of loan notes into equity. What does that sort of deal mean in terms of club sustainability and competitiveness in the transfer market? Was this just an injection of cash by the owners or did they purchase additional shares in the club?
0: It is quite, quite a technical question, this mm. um, from Ridian. In terms of, again, let's unpack the questions. Um, if you convert a loan note into equity, what you are effectively saying is it's normally a case of one of the directors or one of the owners of the club has said, I'm going to lend you money. Now, yeah, the nature of a loan is that you've got that is going to have to be repaid at some point. But If we take a look at many clubs, you know, Roman Abramovich lent Chelsea 1.5 billion pounds. Roman Abramovich always knew that Chelsea would never be in a position to be able to repay that money. Chelsea always knew that it had priorities in terms of the utilisation of that cash and therefore had no intention of repaying that money. Um, so to a certain extent, bank of mum and dad. You know, Our kid says, Dad, I want to buy a car, I want to you know, do this. Uh, and I say, OK, uh, how much? I say, well, can I have this? I go, OK, I'll lend you this. And you know, the word "lending," we both look at each other. I know what I mean. He knows what he means. Um, I know I'm never going to get that money. Um, but in, you know, formally, it's a loan. So the next time he he aggravates me, I say, "Oh, by the way, you owe me such and such." <laughs> and, and he goes, yeah, "Yeah, yeah, okay, that yeah, yeah, I believe you." Um, so so that's the position. So when you when you convert loan notes into equity, what you are doing is that you are formally saying, don't want the money. Um, so, And we have seen this. Yeah, you know, it certainly it's happened uh, with regards to uh, Swansea City. Um, Stoke City did it in respect of, I think it was 120 or £160 million pounds that they owed to Bet365. Um, Bet365, yeah, don't really need the money. Wolves owners Foson, they did it with, again, a nine-figure sum. Um, and it's what you're doing is you are swapping one piece of the paper which is an iou for another piece of paper which is a number of shares in the club if you are the sole owner of the club makes no difference you previously owned 100% of the football club you still own 100% of the football club if there is however shared ownership so you know, this could be an issue for example in, in terms of crystal palace let's say that and, and, and this isn't the case but let's let's say that one of the owners has also lent 20 million pounds to the club the clubs not in a position to pay it back the owner says okay yeah what are you going to do about it and the and palace turned around and said okay here's a deal you write off the debt and you get another 15% of Palace on the back of that. Can you see that's going to dilute the shareholding of the other shareholders? So therefore, it would have to be a decision made at board level. It would have to be approved by by Steve Parish and co. But that is one way of uh, changing the, the dynamics. You know, I think we've seen this to a certain extent at Newcastle. Uh, Amanda Staveley's uh, influence sort of formally in terms of her shareholding in the club I think we will find has decreased um, since the acquisition when it was what, you know, two, two, two and a half years ago. Um, and, and that of some of the other shareholders has increased as, as they've put money in uh, in terms of shares.
1: So, so what then, Kieran, is the accounting definition
0: of equity? Equity, you, you've got two types of equity. We, you have, first of all, what we refer to as invested equity. This, is, this tends to be physical cash that an owner has put into the club, and in return, they get a piece of paper which says you're a shareholder, you own um, a part of this football club, what benefits does that give to you? Well, it gives you two benefits. First of all, um, and this has only ever been the case in the in, in respect to Manchester United, if the club makes a profit, then you can get a share of that profit in what we refer to as dividends. So, so it's a bit like interest on a loan in that regard, but you know, 99% of football, that's not the case. The second issue is that if a new bidder comes for the club, they have to buy the shares off you because your shares tend to carry voting rights. And voting rights are important because voting rights will allow you to A, have influence or control over the strategy of the club, B, appoint the board of directors. So yeah, that's why all the fuss we've seen in respect of Manchester United and uh, you know, uh, Jim Ratcliffe, uh, in the sense that he's bought shares, and we've said it's not just the shares that's the issue, it's the agreement which he's, uh, which has been signed off by the Board of Manchester United Board, which gives him control over the operational activities of the football club. Okay.
1: Our penultimate question, Kieran, comes from Michael Villani. Um, uh, and it, it's, it's quite pertinent, considering the discussion we had a couple of weeks ago about cryptocurrency uh, and its influence on football at the moment and Michael says how much money did Roma and Inter lose when their shirt sponsor Digital Bits stopped paying them last season?
0: Um, Right yeah Digital Bits signed deals with both of these clubs in 2021 Um, I think Inter's was worth 85 million over three or four years and Roma's was a little bit less but um, as as we saw, uh, digital bits failed to pay, or perhaps they did offer to pay, but they offered to pay in cryptocurrency. And uh, Inter and Roma probably turned around and says, "No, mm, yeah, I think that we'll pass on that. Yeah, uh, you know, we we can't pay. We can't pay the local bakery for the uh, for the dough balls. We can't pay the players their salaries in uh, in digital currencies. Uh, but they all want uh, they all want euro. Um, so the actual cost, from what I can glean, uh, it cost Roma. Somewhere in the region of ten million euro, and Inter twenty four million. did uh, digital bits. They they just kept faffing them off, you know, and say, oh yeah, 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 we'll, we'll get round to it. Sorry, sorry, a you know, bit, bit of a bit of cash flow issue and so on. Um, and I know that Inter ended up with nothing on the front of their shirt. They didn't manage to sign a deal for the rest of the season, and uh, Roma. Uh, I think Roma applied to have SPQR. Uh, you know the the famous uh, you know when when the roman empire was was it sqpr etna populusque romanus yeah ah brilliant um so they applied to have that on the front of their shirts which would have been absolutely brilliant i would have felt sort of obliged to buy a shirt on that basis <laughs> so i think, I think, I, think they, I think they missed out on one there
1: <laughs> um our last question Kieran comes from Nick Brace um and it's it's germane to your experience at Tottenham on, on Saturday, but it's also one of those questions I really like because it's one of those questions you think, why on earth have we not discussed this before? Because mm. it's such, it, it, it should be one of the first yeah. questions you ask. So thank you for that, Nick. It's a great question. Nick says, with Football stadium bringing in huge amounts of tourism and trade to an area on match days and event days, who bears the cost of cleanup for the surrounding areas as undoubtedly there must be huge amounts of waste Generated, and a huge cleaning operation would be needed. Is this cost charged to the
0: club, or do the local councils bear the cost? It's a great question, Kieran, isn't it? It is. Uh, you know, we're not being arrogant here. We know we are listened to in quite a few clubs. Yeah. Um, it would be great if somebody who is a, a match operations officer drops us a line and, and comes on the show, because it's, it's you know here it, this is speculation on on my behalf, but I, I think it would be fascinating to know sort of you know, what it is like on match day. I can imagine you, know, you get up probably about 5am yeah. and you don't go to sleep till about yeah. midnight because you know, football is so much more than the 90 minutes, especially uh, for those clubs with big stadia and so on. Um, the, the football club is responsible for you know, the football grounds and the the area in which it occupies um, in terms of the, the real estate. However, the rest is ultimately it's a, it is a local council concern now the football clubs will pay substantial amounts of money in terms of business rates so they will say that they're making a contribution um sort of directly to the council um it could be that there are special relations on on match day um and and that comes down to that comes down to relationships as much as anything else um if if we take a look at the hospitality industry in general, yeah. if you go to a pub or a club, or I was I was walking uh, home the other night in a in a fairly uh, uh, a fa- a, a fairly entertaining part of Liverpool, you know, I'm up in Liverpool Monday through Thursday, um, where all the restaurants are, lots of bars and so on, and you know, as, as we know, I, I don't drink alcohol. Um, there was there was detritus, yeah, um, yeah, yeah of, uh, of of various shapes and forms, and the council cleans that up every night. Now, the council would say, "Well, you know, we we do get money um, from uh, from those businesses in terms of business rates. They they generate tourism income. They generate you know ancillary benefits for the city in terms of." You know, the taxi trade, the hotel trade and so on. So we, we look at the bigger picture. So I think the same would apply to the football club. Um, I know when Brighton were playing with Dean as part of the licence uh, that the council gave for the club to to play in what was an athletics track with with the away end in a different postcode uh, because it was behind the hammer net or something daft. And it was also the 400 metre track. So it was it was a long way away that the club had to agree to clear up the mess in a surrounding area, um, and yeah, and this is probably you know the most Brighton thing you could do. Um, so therefore, we as fans uh, we set up litter patrols at the end of every match and went went around cleaning it up because the alternative was having to go back to Gillingham, and it, and it was uh, it was seen as you know the price you pay being a football fan and to be fair most fans bought into it in the sense that we were all aware that we were under scrutiny from the, the NIMBY's. um and therefore it, it football fans are actually quite good at self-policing oh uh yes uh yeah, yeah. We, we, we've seen that across a broader range of issues um and even the away fans you know you'd normally liaise on, on their you know, on their message board beforehand. most most fans are yeah, they understand that they don't want to go through similar circumstances. So it, it wasn't, wasn't a terrible issue, but uh, that, that's, yeah, that's the type of thing that we're, we're
1: dealing with. Well, you say it's not a terrible issue, Kieran, but I'm, I'm on a bound to say that you know, getting quinoa off a pavement is a bugger. I mean, I mean, after chewing gum, once you get a bit of quinoa stuck on that parent. I remember my, when we went to um, Oynian Berlin, a couple of seasons back. We were all really, really impressed because there's a, there's a short suburban train journey out there on which um, many German versions of me and my mates just got through an incredible amount of bottled beer. Huge amount of bottled beer. Uh, but at the end, um, uh, Berlin fans, there are huge bottle bins provided. They all put the bottles in the bins. The, the train was spotless by the time we all got off. And those, because they still pay deposits on bottles there, the, the Bin bottles were then duly delivered to a homeless charity who got the deposit money for the... For the it's like, as you say, football fans are are self-policing. It's also interesting, kid, I remember a long time ago uh, there was a group of local residents near Sellers Park who, just back in the 80s, who, who claimed, probably rightly at the time, in the bad old days, that being close to a football ground was um, lowering the price of their property. And Ron Nodes at the time pointed out that the you know they, the football ground was there long before they bought or acquired mm. their property, but now I think a lot of football clubs would argue that having a house close to a football ground is probably increasing the price of your property, especially on match days. Just Airbnb, you're going to
0: you're going to get a lot of people coming in, aren't you? That that's right. And what we're also seeing, especially uh, as you say, yeah, some of the, the more senior clubs is that uh, fans are taking advantage of uh, you know, apps like Just Park, where you effectively yeah, um, yeah, you, you, yeah. you rent out your yeah. drive yeah. Um, for the match. And I've even seen uh, some fans, and I've seen this at rugby, uh, rugby as well, near Twickenham, where they will do a little bit of you know, selling sausages and burgers and so on from from their front garden. Or bit or some or they'll they'll hire it out to a merch seller who, who because who's not been able to get a license from the council for doing it on the street. So uh, I, I think you know, the ingenuity of football fans um, can can be really positive. And I probably quite like to live near the ground. I, mean, I, I uh, in my second year at university, I was quite close to Old Trafford, and it was great. You know, I could pop up out and be there, be there in five minutes. And, you, and of course, you didn't have to go and buy tickets in advance those days. You just rock up
1: yeah see i think arguably that's the the change i miss most in football is the fact that you can't you couldn't you know if palace are away or not playing you couldn't suddenly decide anymore on the morning right i'll go i'll just queue up and get in at tottenham or whatever it's just uh, I suppose it's for the best, way. anyway. Um, thank you to that question, Nick. Um, thank you for all our questions today. They're very good. And um, thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that'd be very kind of you, and it'll get you access to our chat community and our regular quizzes, and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you'd like a question answered on the show, you can email us at questions at priceoffootball.com, and you can go to that same website to buy... Uh, And what I'm going to grandly call merch, which I believe is uh, two T-shirts, a mug and a couple of uh, rare unsigned books. Uh, We'll be back on Thursday with our weekly news pod, which will include an in-depth discussion of that that Premier League vote last week. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his
0: customary farewell. Uh, Well, thanks for everybody that's, that's been in contact in the past few days um it does does keep us on our toes but you know it, it's great to engage with people and and to also give us some idea for some other stories which which I think we might uh, again uh, apply yes. as far as Thursday is concerned um you can support the show if you, if you don't want to listen to the adverts go go to patreon there's, a, there's an ad free couple of options there um there's another way you can support the show that's to give us a review uh, it does uh, it does make a difference in terms of the charts and the algorithms and the credibility And we 're trying to get some guests in um uh, and it doesn't matter what you say, and uh, Kevin mentioned uh, his friend Eric, so I, I feel duty-bound you say you could even have the show presented by Eric Idle and Eric Morecambe. Oh, uh, and I'm I'm a fan of both of those. Oh, Wouldn't that be lovely? Oh,
1: cosy glow of sentimental nostalgia now. The two Erics, that'd be great. Let's do If you can get an avatar of ABBA, surely we can get one of Morecambe and Wise, can't we? Can't we be on yeah, the realms of good. science to get... I'd I'd go and sit in Hyde Park and watch two holograms of Eric and Ernie. I've got two mates who look just like Eric and Ernie. We'll get them to do it. They'll make a fortune. Pretend they're avatars. Bye, everybody. Bye.
0: Bye. my son for football.